Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're going to make a, go a little bit faster tonight. Uh, not, we're going to be covering verses 4 through 8. Last week we covered three verses, and this, we're, this time we're covering about five, I think. So, uh, we're, you know, if it gets progressively longer, we won't be very long. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's going to be a while. Uh, but tonight we're looking at the Redeemer of Revelation. And Jesus, of course, is the theme of the book. He is the person of Revelation. We saw last week that there is a blessing to all those that read the book of uh, read the book, those who hear the book, and those who keep the words written therein. Uh, you can be blessed if you uh, do that. And it's no wonder that the devil uh, wants to cause so much confusion when it comes to the book of Revelation. Uh, he doesn't want to see God's people blessed. Today we're going to look at the Redeemer of Revelation. Uh, let's look at verses 4 through 8 tonight. The Bible says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. We're going to look at those verses tonight, and uh, so the, look at the Redeemer of Revelation. But first, let's look at, before we look at the Redeemer of Revelation, let's look at the recipients of Re Revelation. In verse number 4, John tells us uh, that he is writing to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he tells them, Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Uh, we'll also see that it's from Christ himself as well in verse 5 in just a moment. Uh, we're told in verse 11 that the seven churches are the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Perga Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And uh, we'll look at these churches in detail in the weeks coming up. Uh, but first, let's look at, uh, first of all, their description that's given, letter A, their description that's given here in these things. First of all, uh, I want to I say that I believe that, number one, these are specific churches. Um, I don't think they're just a type of churches. I believe they are specific churches. Um, I don't believe that these were uh, seven, uh, I do believe they were seven literal local churches at the time that John the Apostle was writing Revelation. The language of what is said here and what is said in the coming verses kind of speak to that. And although they were literal churches in Asia, uh, uh, there were literal churches in Asia Minor at the time uh, uh, these were literal churches. There is spiritual significance to believers today. Uh, just like all other passages of Scripture is profitable, uh, so is this. Um, the story and the message that is given to these churches is given to us for a reason and given to our, the future generations that will see all of these things come true. And uh, just as many of the prophecies of the Old Testament had uh, near and far fulfillments of the prophecy, uh, something that would happen more recently and be fulfilled. 
uh, more recently and something that was a foreshadowing of the future, like, for instance, the millennial kingdom of Christ or uh, the second coming of Christ, the tribulation or various things like that. There is a fulfillment we can see in history in a more recent time, but then there's a fulfillment of the future. And that's the same thing with uh, these churches in Revelation. Uh, there was a near fulfillment that was a letter was given to a message to these churches, and then there was a there is a message for the future as well. Uh, there were other churches in Asia Minor, uh, such as the Church of Colossae, uh, and, uh, but these are specific ones that were mentioned for a reason. And the message to these churches gave instruction to that little church and met their needs. Uh, but it also reveals seven different types of individuals and or churches throughout history and gives them instruction in God's truth. And we'll look at that as we look at the churches more closely. Uh, we're not going to get into too much detail. The main thing I want you to uh, see is I believe that they are specific churches. Uh, secondly, uh, there's a significance to the number. Uh, the number seven is used more than any other number. Uh, it's a number of completion. Uh, this is illustrated by the seven colors in the rainbow. Uh, it's illustrated by the seven-year rest in Jewish culture. Uh, the number of completion leads us to believe that the rapture will take place at the end of the church age. These verses that are to the churches of, of, of Asia are written to the church age. Uh, and it speaks of the church age there. And that uh, letter uh, number seven speaks to the completion of the church age. Uh, and then number three, I want you to see that the, the symbolism of the churches. Uh, many people believe that these churches give a panorama of church history. Uh, give a, a picture of what hap has, would happen as far as his uh, writing of the Revelation um, and mostly what has happened uh, as far as we look back. Uh, the, they foreshadow seven different periods of the history of the church. Uh, I'm not dogmatic about that. Um, I don't think the Bible doesn't say this, 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 and this, this is this, this, and this. And so there can be disagreements there and say, well, I think this represents as such. The, the problem with it, with applying uh, these churches to and saying that they always display characteristics that uh, fit a certain time frame or such is that uh, some of these characteristics could fit churches at any time in history uh, and so it's not necessarily uh, you don't want to be dogmatic about some of those points that uh, we're not sure about we just see as a similarity in some of these things looking back on history uh, but it does, you know, just because it can be applied to multiple churches doesn't mean it's true. Not was not true for that church, and was not true for that time period as well. And these churches are pictured as lampstands in verses 12 and 13, uh, which we'll study more fully later. But we can look at those verses. Verse 12 it says, "And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks." In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Uh, so here are the, the churches, and there's a symbolism there that's important. And then uh, letter B here, uh, there was speaking of the recipients of Revelation, we see their salutation. Uh, they're greeted here. Uh, first of all, we see they're greeted by a prayer, or the, the person that's greeting is, is praying for them. The prayer is for grace and peace. Uh, verse 4 says, John, the, uh, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace for him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And so the prayer is for grace and peace to them. 
And Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, 7 and said something very similar and said, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. And, uh, you know, that's uh, the, the prayer for grace and the prayer for peace that was not uncommon in a greeting during this time. In a book that deals primarily with the judgment uh, that's coming in the tribulation. The vast majority of the book deals with the tribulation time. Uh, with a book that's like that, I'm grateful that it begins with peace and grace. Amen? Uh, and so he, he offers that prayer first to the churches. And grace means uh, the favor and blessing of God. It's uh, God giving us the desire and the power to do his will. Um, we do not deserve God's grace. It's unmerited favor. But God loves us, and he gives that to us, so he showers his grace upon us. He gives us everything that we need to be able to do what he has called us to do. Secondly, he prays for peace from God. Uh, peace with God and with man. And the reading of this book could produce quite a turmoil in our hearts. Uh, but God prays for peace for us. Amen? And so uh, their prayer is one for, God, for grace and peace. Secondly, we see the persons of the Godhead are mentioned, are, are seen in this salutation. Uh, here in these verses, we see all three parts of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity represented. Uh, the Father, we see uh, him represented in which is, which was, which is to come. Uh, God reveals the past, he rides the f present, and he rules the future. Uh, and so we know that we can trust him, amen? The one that gives us grace and peace is the one who's speaking here. And he knows all that has happened and all that is happening and all that will ever happen. And uh, that's something when he's the one offering us grace and peace, we can rest assured of that. Amen. And we can rest in that. Uh, he knows all that's going to happen in the future. I heard about a preacher who confronted a fortune teller and uh, uh, was confronted by a fortune teller. And uh, she, she said, give me $10 and I'll tell, I'll tell you what you're doing tomorrow. And the preacher said, tell me what I did yesterday, and I'll give you $20. <laughs> you know, and uh, nobody knows uh, our past. Nobody knows our future. Nobody knows anything but God. Uh, God knows what it is. And so we see the Father represented here in verse number 4. Then we see the Spirit. It says, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Uh, there is disagreement over those seven spirits. Uh, but, uh, the majority of what I've uh, read and what I've seen and what I've heard preached believe that that's a representation of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, a representation of his, the seven attributes of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit given in Isaiah chapter 11. But the Holy Spirit is involved in giving grace and peace. Uh, notice the connective there in that verse too. It says, and from. So not only is the Father praying and giving grace and peace, but the Holy Spirit is involved in giving grace and peace. And so here the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit is represented here in this, in this wording, uh, showing the Spirit in all of his fullness. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him quick un of understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So that's where most people uh, kind of draw from uh, in thinking that this is speaking specifically of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and the Holy Spirit is before the throne in all of his perfect, uh, perfect perfection and all of his holiness. And therefore the believer is to find grace and peace in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God tells us, uh, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And we're to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That is the control of the Holy Spirit. And we're to yield to him every single day. Oh, how important it is for us to walk in the Spirit. Uh, and so, Father is represented, the Holy Spirit is represented, and then we see the Son in verse number 5, where it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Uh, it is the Son who brought grace and peace of God to earth. He's the one that ushered it in for us. John 14, 27 tells us, Peace I, get, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And Jesus brings us peace. Ephesians 2, 14 tells us that for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Uh, there's nothing separating us from the throne of grace. Amen. And uh, he is the one that ushered that in, ushered in that peace where we were once at enmity with God. Uh, he has brought peace. Uh, here in these verses, we, we see uh, the, uh, who this was written to, the recipients of the revelation. Secondly, we notice here uh, the redeemer of the revelation. This is the point of the whole thing. Here we see that in verse 5 where, that we just read. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And here in this verse we see the threefold representation of Christ. We see, first of all, him shown as prophet. Uh, he is our faithful witness, the Bible says here in verse 5. Uh, he is the one we can depend upon to be faithful and true in what he says. And John gives record of his life on earth in his gospel. Uh, John 1.14 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, he is the faithful witness and prophet. Uh, John 8.14 tells us, Jesus answered and saith unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Uh, his record is true. Uh, he is the faithful witness to us. And that was the, par the purpose of the prophet, was to proclaim what God wanted to, that to be known. And they were a faithful witness to uh, what God had spoken. Uh, secondly, we see his representation of priest. Not only prophet, but we see him as priest here. Uh, the first begotten of the dead. He was the first to arise who never again had to die. Uh, Lazarus and all else who came back to life had to die again. But Jesus never once died again. Amen? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Uh, Jesus Christ is supreme as our priest and as our payment. He's our high priest. Hebrews 9.11 tells us, But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Uh, he is our high priest, and he can stand before the Father, having placed his blood upon the mercy seat, and now sits on his right hand on the throne of God and making intercession for us. Uh, he is the prophet, 
seen here in these verses. He's seen as the priest, his role as priest. Uh, but in these verses also portray him as king. It says here, it's interesting, the wording that's used, isn't it? He says, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Uh, prince of the kings. A king in waiting. Amen. Uh, God is going to declare him king of kings uh, when he rules and reigns. Uh, but now the Bible at this beginning calls him the prince of kings. And Satan will stand against him, but Jesus will rule and reign, no matter what the devil tries. I always wondered, you know, if the, if, uh, you know, the devil seems to at least be aware of the Bible. He tries to quote it, even if he quotes it wrong. Uh, <clears throat> but I often wondered, uh, if he knows what's going on and what's going to happen to him, why does he even try, you know? Uh, it's it's, it's a, a defeated purpose. And, of course, I know that uh, his purpose is to try to destroy as many lives as he can and take as many with him as he can. Uh, he hates uh, God, and so he hates his people. And so he wants to destroy the lives. He is seeking whom he may destroy. Uh, but there, he, he's waiting the day. Try as he may, he will not thwart God's plans. Amen? Uh, he will be king. And throughout Scripture, we see his portrayal of his kingship all throughout Scripture and prophesying of the kingship of Christ. We see him as the king of heaven in Daniel 4.37, where it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and whose, uh, those that walk in, in pride he is able to abase. There he's mentioned as the king of heaven. Uh, he's secondly mentioned in Matthew 2.2 2, as the king of the Jews. And it says, saying, uh, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They declare uh, Jesus as king of the Jews without even realizing what they're saying, probably. Uh, thirdly, in John, he's mentioned as the king of Israel. And John 12, 13, they took branches of the palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Uh, John 1, 48, uh, Nathaniel. Uh, saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, and he's calling to Nathaniel, and he calls him by name. He says, How do you know my name, basically? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And uh, I didn't do the verse that was following that, but Nathaniel ends up calling him the king of Israel uh, there. Uh, fourthly, he's the king of the ages. In First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, it says, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Uh, he's the king of all ages, eternal, immortal. Uh, he's the king of glory, fifthly, Psalm 24, 7. And he says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Uh, he, boy, what a glorious king we serve. Sixthly, he's the king of the saints. Revelation 15.3 says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of the saints. King of saints. And then seventh, seventhly, he is the King of kings. Uh, Revelation 19.16, where it says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. As our prophet as our priest and as our king, the Bible says here in this verse that he has loved us. And he has washed us from our sin in his own blood. Boy, what love Jesus has for us. Amen. 
He is the prophet, the great prophet, greatest prophet. He is the high priest. He is the king of kings. And yet he is willing to bow uh, to the point to be joint heirs with us. Amen? Lift us to the point, I should say. Uh, he didn't bow. He lifts us up uh, to be joint heirs with him. And sees that because of his worthiness, we are deemed worthy to be joint heirs with Christ and God. Uh, these three descriptions uh, uh, seen in uh, these cover all the uh, all the lots uh, all the all of time as well. Uh, prophet, his prophetic office was in the past. His priestly office is current. He's now seating at the. Uh, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. And his kingly office is the future. And so all of time is covered in uh, his representation here. In these verses, thirdly, uh, the, we see the, the reward of the believer. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Uh, the reward of the believer. Verse 6 says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God. And his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. What is the reward of the believer? He is the prophet, priest, and king. And yet, what is it that he does for us? He hath made us kings and priests. Again, he has lifted us to the point to where we can be useful for him. Oh, what a God we serve. Amen. What an amazing God. And these verses tell us that the reward of the believer is, first of all, that he has made us kings. Uh, he hath made us kings. Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, we are translated into his kingdom. Uh, he will one day rule and reign with Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12 tells us if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Uh, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, he says that it has made us unto our God kings and priests, and, shall, and we shall reign on the earth. Uh, boy, what a, uh, a, what a reward for those who stay faithful to Christ, those who trust in Christ. Uh, we are made kings, able to rule with him. Not only is our reward to rule with him in his coming kingdom, but secondly, he has made us priests. And he continues to say, and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that we are a holy priesthood. Uh, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And there's no need for us to confess our sins to a Catholic priest or any other man. Uh, we can go boldly to the throne of grace. We can confess our sins to him as his priests and be able to bring our cares and concerns directly to his throne. We have open access into God's presence at any time. Boy, praise God. Amen. What a reward. He has made us kings, and we'll rule and reign with him. He's made us priests, and we have the office of reconciliation, the purpose of reconciliation, the ability to go and get uh, people out of the fire, if you will, out of the uh, highways and hedges, and be able to witness for him 
uh, and act as that go-between between God and man. Oh, not in a way to where we're a mediator between them, not in a way where they confess their sins to us, but in a way where we stand in that gap and bring them to Christ. Uh, boy, what a privilege God has given us. And there's more in verse 7. He says that, thirdly, he's, the reward for our, the believer is that he is coming again. Amen? Uh, he says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. This verse is not a reference to the catching away of the believers at the end of the church age. Uh, the rapture takes place in an invisible moment. Uh, but here, the second coming of Christ will be seen. Every eye shall see him, uh, the Bible says here. And he will be the sovereign ruler coming to take his throne. And because, as he says in verse number 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He gives his resume, amen, and says, this is why I can stand here and rule and reign over this earth. This is why I can be King of kings and Lord of lords. No other man that has ever lived uh, can claim what Jesus can claim, amen. And on that day, all the enemies of Christ, not only those who have crucified him, but all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Every person who has rebelled against Jesus Christ will cry out in anguish because they have cursed him, because they've rejected him, they've ignored him, and they've rebelled against him. When man does not believe in Jesus Christ, they reject him, and they rebel against his revelation, the revelation given to this world by God. They'll then know when they see him in that day. They'll see that he was exactly who he claimed to be. All those who scoff and mock and say, oh, you believe in fairy tales and things like that, one day they will see and one day they will bow before the Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Oh, man, I'm just looking forward to that day when no one can deny my Lord. Amen. And it's, it's going to be a, a heartbreaking day to see all those who have rejected him. I can't imagine that I would stand there and if, I'm, if I'm there and see as they're cast away and depart from me, thou workers of iniquity, I never knew you. I can't imagine that I would gloat, even those who, who may have hurt me or laughed at me. and Maybe someday I'll be spit in the face. I haven't experienced that, thank goodness. Uh, you know, but uh, persecution of whatever form, maybe the one that will strike me or put me into jail or because I believe in Christ or whatever the case may be. One day, all of those that rejected Christ and fought against him will bow before him and confess that he's Lord. There will be no way to deny it. Uh, he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and they'll see it in that day. They'll know and they'll see exactly he is who he claimed to be. And we'll be with them, and they will see what we have spoken is true. In Jude, uh, only one chapter in the book, but in verse 14 and 15, he says that Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. There's a lot of ungodly there in that verse, isn't there? And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. One day we will come with him. And we will 
uh, bring them before the throne, before Jesus, and they'll have to confess. Jesus said himself that after the tribulation of those days, he'll appear. Matthew 24, 30, he says, And then shall appear the signs of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Everyone will see the truth in that day. Jesus is Lord. And they'll see the truth. Christ is coming to judge this world. You and I who trust Christ will not be judged with this kind of judgment. Now in verse 8, Jesus himself declares, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega, the last of the letter. From beginning to end, he's saying, from beginning to ending. He says it twice in two different ways. He began all things and he will end all things. Everything that has purpose or meaning in this life is found in him. He is the beginning and the end. Put your trust in Jesus Christ before it's too late. Amen. I heard a story about a uh, full-service gas station that had several dozen cars waiting in line on a holiday weekend trying to get gas before the weekend and as they're on their way out of town. At the end of the line was a pastor of the local church and spotting the pastor uh, uh, in the last car there, he, he called out, he said, Pastor, I'm sorry for the delay. It seems like folks are always waiting for the last minute to get ready for their trip that they've known that they were taken. And the pastor smiled and replied, I know what you mean. It's the same in my business too. Don't wait until it's too late. Amen. To live in Christ is to live in peace, knowing that he has given us the grace we have and the eternal life that he has promised us. John 10, 28 and 29 says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. He said my, he's, he's much bigger than anyone else. Amen. No one can pick on him. <laughs> Amen. He's greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Brought me back to, uh, just, just now, brought me back to junior high whenever uh, the school that I went to, public school that I went to, was 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And so even though ninth grade is high school, they were still in the middle school. And uh, then the 10th, 11th, and 12th. When I first came, I, it was my first year in public school. I had gone to Christian school all of my life, and uh, I was kind of a runt and kind of small for my age a little bit and uh, felt scrawny at least. And, uh, but uh, as we went through the days, uh, there was a kid who decided that he was going to make my life difficult. And uh, one day I, I stood up for myself and I said, you know, just cut it out or whatever it was that I said. I don't even remember. I think I blocked it out because I was terrified. But, uh, but whatever it is, I stood up to him and, I, and he said, that's it, Wallace, you know, a, a football field after school. You know, I was like, I don't want to play football. <laughs> you know? That's not what he meant. And uh, I knew what he meant. And I was a nervous wreck. You know, of course, I wasn't going to let him know. I said, okay, I'll be there, you know, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't fight. I don't know how to fight and everything else. And I went to my locker, and we had uh, lockers that were top and bottom, uh, and there's one locker on top, one locker on bottom, and I had a locker on the bottom, and uh, Jim Brady had the locker above me, 
And uh, he was the tallest ninth grader I've ever seen in my life. But uh, through the couple of weeks that we'd been going to school, we got to know each other a little bit. And he'd say, hey, Jeremy. And I'd say, you know, hey, uh, how are you doing, Jim? And, uh, you know, we just talk back and forth and everything. And just a little bit here, a little bit there. But he was the, uh, I don't think he was the captain of the football team, but he was on the football team and looked every part of it. And uh, I went to my locker at the end of the day and, and uh, pulled my stuff out of the, uh, put my stuff in the locker rather. And I was a nervous wreck. And I, boy, I just, I was doing everything I could just to not freak out. And Jim saw me and he said, hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? And as soon as he saw my face, he knew something was wrong. And he said, Jeremy, what's wrong? He said, oh, such as I said his name. I said, I'm said I have to meet him at the football field, and I, I guess I can't, I can't run. I've got to go meet him at the football field. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, Jim said, come on, let's go. And uh, I took off running, and I had to do every two steps for every gym, one that Jim took. And, but we went out to the football field, and I could see the bully you know, out in the distance over there by the stands and uh, by the bleachers and facing the other way. And he's, uh, Jim called out, hey! And he turned around, and it was kind of like a cartoon. You know, he turned around and went, you know, and looked up at Jim Brady. And, and uh, he said, I hear you have a problem with my friend Jeremy. And he said, no, I don't have a problem at all. No, not at all. <laughs> so I better not hear about you messing with him again. Boy, the rest of that year, I didn't have any problems in seventh grade. Jim went on to high school after that. <laughs> and my mouth did get me into trouble a couple of times after that. I uh, didn't have my protector there, but, you know, I, I thought of that story whenever I would talk about this, no man is able to pluck him out of my hand. Uh, you know, he is greater than all. You know, when we have God on our side, we don't have to worry. Amen. Uh, God is in control. Jesus is Lord, and he which is and which was and which is to come is the Almighty. And the word means all controller, all ruler. Jesus is the Almighty, and because he can and does control all, even though man may face some very difficult things, God is still in control. He's able to work it together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Boy, what a reward we have in Christ. Amen. What a reward. And, uh, well, let's... Take some prayer requests.